0: We're in the final chapter of James and as we come to the closing words, we've already been confronted by uh, some pretty strong words last week, weren't we? Both James speaking, thankfully we felt, not to us but to to rich people, I'm not saying we're not rich, but to those particularly that they were trusting in their riches. And he says "You're, you're trusting in your riches but your riches are worthless, particularly in these last days. Those rich men were taking advantage of Workers By not giving them their their wages, not being fair in the way that they were dealing with people, God reminded them through James, taking on almost like an Old Testament prophet voice to say that you are going to face judgment if you don't change your ways. There was a lesson for us in that, even though it, it didn't apply for us, because these are people who do not know Jesus Christ. The message for us was, don't love what they love don't love their riches, don't love what the world loves, don't try to be like the world with all of their riches. Rather, we should set our focus on Jesus. And that brings us to this passage today because it now comes back to us and says, in that world, in a world where everybody is scrambling for money and they're treating everybody badly and there's such wickedness going on, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? Well, he says, quite simply, be patient. I I don't know, are you a patient person? We like to think of ourselves as patient. I try to be. I try to be patient when I drive through the McDonald's and they take forever to get my order. I try to be patient when you're on the phone to the phone company or the electricity company and they say, you are 12th in the queue, and you're just waiting and waiting. It's something that we struggle with. This patience he's talking about here is a little bit different, but it is something that every all of us struggle with, particularly today, because, Today, everything is so rush, 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 rush. We have to do things faster and quicker and save time. And so we're not used to waiting. Nowadays, everything seems to come to us instantly. I know when I used to work as a salesperson uh, many years ago, I would go and visit customers, and then I would say, I will send a, a quote to you, I'll send a proposal to you. And I would go back, and we'd go to the office and write it up and type it up. And you'd put it in the post, and you'd put a stamp on it, and then you'd send it. And they would get it maybe the next week. Then there came the fax machine. Wonderful thing. Well, kids don't know about fax machines nowadays. They hardly see them. You could take a piece of paper and you could put it into this fax machine. And you dial a number and you press it and it goes through and it comes out. And they get it at that end. And that was great. But then people said, well, can you fax it to me? I want it now. So then came email. And then they said, no, can you email it? And then so when people used to be willing to wait a week, I, I found myself getting times in business where people would say, you'd send a proposal and then 30 minutes later they'd say, where is it? It hasn't come yet. Things have changed. Yes, we can do things faster, but people get impatient as a result of that. When we look at what's going on in the world today and the world is turning further and further away from God and Christians are being persecuted, James says, we are to respond with patience. Be patient, therefore, brethren. Be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Now, the word that's here is for patience, You remember back in chapter 1 when we began the book of James, it talked a bit about patience there and it says the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith produces patience. And we said that word patience is endurance. And that word is used here as well in verse 11 talking about the endurance or the patience of Job. But the word here that's talking about patience is a slightly different word and it means to be long-tempered, not short-tempered. When we're short-tempered, we are frustrated and we get annoyed with each other. We're supposed to be long-tempered. We're supposed to be long-suffering, gentle with people. This word is more to do with how we respond to people. The other word is more has to do with how we respond to the trials, the situations that we have in life. We're supposed to be patient in both. He reminds us that as believers, not to get angry with those who persecute you, not to try and... Fight back. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my people would fight. So we are to be patient. It's something that we need to work on. We need to develop. Patience, we're told, or long-suffering, is a fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is in our lives, when we become believers, he he works in our lives to produce patience. And as we heard in verse 1, that often comes through times of testing, testing of our faith. The main theme of this passage, of course, is to be patient. And he gives us some reasons why we should be patient. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto or until the coming of the Lord. Now, we just sang a hymn saying Jesus is coming again. That is, in fact, exactly what the Bible teaches. There's over 300 references in the New Testament about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know the world celebrates the birth of Jesus into this world. When he came into this world, took on flesh as a baby and he grew up, that's the first coming of Christ. But Jesus says, I am coming again. I am going to be coming again. In John 14, he says this, Let not your heart be troubled, he said to his disciples. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is coming back to take us to be with him, but he's also going to come back to the earth. When Jesus left this earth, after he died, he rose again, he spent 40 days with his disciples, and just before he went, he gave them the great commission. He said, go into all the world and tell the good news, make disciples of all nations. And then they watched and Jesus arose up into the clouds and as they're looking up into the clouds and they're looking at Jesus going up, there's these two angels. It says two men appeared in white, but they're angels and they said, you men of Galilee, while you're standing here gazing up into heaven, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven shall come again in like manner in the same way. As you've seen him going to heaven that tells us that jesus is going to come again as he said in the clouds and in glory jesus is coming back he's going to set foot on this earth god in the flesh will set foot on earth once more paul tells us in titus that we're to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great god and our savior jesus christ john says beloved we are now sons of god we're children of god as believers and it doesn't not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There is a wonderful promise of the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke about this quite a lot when he was on the earth as well. Talked about his second coming. Well, when's that going to happen? There's been people around that have said... Jesus is coming back. There was a a book some years ago, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988, and he didn't come back in 1988. And then other people, even recently, people said, Jesus is coming back. There was a a guy named Harold Camping, and he uh, made predictions. Jesus said, no one knows when he's coming back. No man knows the hour except the Father. God knows. He has a plan and a timetable. And sometimes we think that because it's been 2,000 years nearly, and Jesus hasn't come back. Oh, maybe some people say, well, that, maybe that's not going to happen. But in Second Peter, we're told the Lord is not slack. He has a plan. He's not willing, it says, that any would perish. He wants everybody to trust in him. Now, not everybody does believe in Jesus, but He is extending that offer for people. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. They should change their mind, realize who Jesus is and why they need him. Some of his disciples came to Jesus when he was on the earth and they asked him the question, when are you going to come back? What's going to be the signs of your return? In Luke chapter 21, Jesus told them a little bit about his return. He talks about some of the things that would take place. Luke 21 verse 7, they asked him saying, Master, when shall these things be? And what will, signs will there be when these things come to pass? And he said, take heed and be not deceived for there shall be many that shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. Have we had people that come that have claimed to be some Messiah or some, we've had many cult leaders here. And the time draweth near. Go ye not after them. Don't go after those people that claim to be Jesus or claim to be God. But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified for these things shall first come to pass. But the end is not by and by. There's been wars and commotions right throughout history. In this past hundred years, we've seen more wars and more killing than ever before. Then he shall say, Nations shall rise against nation, and kingdoms shall rise against kingdom, and there shall be great earthquakes in various places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights that there shall be from heaven. Some say, Well, look, there's a lot of those things that have happened today. Well, there has been for many years now. But before all of these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, and you shall be brought before kings and rulers for my sake. And it shall turn for you to attest to me. Settle it therefore in your hearts. When you're being persecuted, Christians are now in many countries are already being persecuted, being killed. And we are starting to experience some of that now, I believe we are. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before you what you will answer, for I'll give you mouth and wisdom which your adversaries shall not be able to regain, say, or resist. I'll give you the things to say when the time has come. And you shall be betrayed by both parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends. And some of, for some of you, they will cause to be put to death. And you'll be hated of all men for mine's name's sake. Christians are becoming more and more hated because of what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about Jesus Christ. But there shall not a hair on your head perish. Your patience possess you, your soul. The counsel he's telling them even then is be patient. So be patient for the coming of the Lord. We don't know when the coming of the Lord is, but there's two things that the Bible teaches. Firstly, it is going to happen. Jesus is coming again. And secondly, it could happen at any time. Often people try to look at these signs I've just mentioned and say, well, look, there's more earthquakes and this is happening and this is happening, therefore Jesus might be coming back. But you know what? Since the early time, they have been expecting the, the return of Jesus Christ. Even now in this book of James, he's saying, be ready, be patient because God, Jesus Christ is coming back soon. That was nearly 2,000 years ago. Paul says this, he says, knowing the time, that it's now high time to awake out of our sleep before now is our salvation nearer than when first we believed. It's closer to the time of Jesus' return than when you first believed. It doesn't matter when you trusted in Christ. You're closer to that time now. Coming back to James, he gives an example. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it. Who's the husbandman? He's talking about a farmer. A farmer that plants a crop. Now think about where he was at this time, and he's writing this, it's in the Middle East, it's a very dry area, and there isn't a lot of rain there. We've had quite a bit of rain down here. They would plant their crops, their wheat and their barley and the different crops that they had. They needed two lots of rain. They needed rain when you plant early in the season, and they needed rain later in the season. And they have to be patient in between that. They have to wait. Now, I know, Nick, you uh, work on a farm that plants... Uh, some plants and sells them like um, lettuce and herbs and things like that and you have to sow seeds each week and when you sow them do you just the next day can you pick them? How long do you have to wait? Yeah, so some of them are a couple of months that you have to wait for the, the crop and so they need to at that work they need to continue to be planting seeds don't you and they've got greenhouses and things like that. This is the example he's saying you know we need to be patient because God is going to bring a harvest in the right time. And just like the farmer and the person that plants needs to be patient, we need to be patient to see what not only God is doing in our lives, but what he's doing in this world. It's easy to look around at all the problems in the world, to look at all the the things that are happening, even to look at each other and to get frustrated. James is saying, and God's saying, we need to be patient. We need to wait. God is working. Now, being patient doesn't mean we sit and do nothing. When you're on the farm, once you've planted those seeds do you do do you still have to do other things yeah you've got to water and tend it and do all these sorts of things and God says for us in our spiritual lives it's not a matter of just sitting back and waiting for the Lord to come you know there have been people throughout the ages that have done that they've got in little communities some have said we'll all put on white robes and we'll go up to the hills and we'll just wait there for Jesus to come back and there have been people that have done that and Jesus has not come back yet God says, no, we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to just stand there and wait for that. He said in one of the parables, he said, occupy till I come. Be busy. God has things for us to do on this earth. Well, just don't get focused on trying to make money and try to please yourself here and now. Look beyond that. Look to eternity that Jesus is coming back. We need to be patient to the Lord's coming and that example of the husbandman. He says, establish your hearts. That means strengthen your hearts. It's very easy for us to lose heart." to be discouraged. Because as Christians, we often fail, we fall, we struggle. Then we look at also what's going on around us. And we, it's very easy for us to throw up our hands and say, look, what's the use? I, I, can't, I can't live for Christ. Well, the reality is you can't. You need Jesus Christ working in you. It's God that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And he continues to help and guide and keep us in that way. He will work in our lives. We need to continually, as the whole book of James says, have faith, trust and rely on him, lean upon him. And then as he works in our lives, we would work for him as well. One of the problems that can arise when you are waiting and things are not coming to pass as you want is that you start looking look at each other and get frustrated with each other. And in verse 9, this is what he warns against. He says, "'Grudge not against one another, brethren,' lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. One author talked about the fact that we're all supposed to be laborers in the harvest. So if you think of it as a laborer, you've got this sickle. You know, that It's like the thing that cuts some people after a while. They're, if they're not out sort of looking at the Lord and what he has to do, they start taking their sickles and they have sword fights on each other and they're <laughs> attacking each other with them. And that's the, the picture here is that, that as, as believers, because he's saying here against grudge not against one another, brethren. Don't get into looking at each other and picking on each other and faults with each other and starting to criticise each other. He says that is not what you're supposed to be doing. Let's all set our focus on Jesus Christ. Do you know what happens when we all set our focus on Jesus Christ? We draw closer to Jesus Christ, and in the process we draw closer to one another as well. And that's why Jesus said... By this will all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. As John said, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Certainly there is times when we need to warn one another, rebuke one another, and restore one another, and it's not to say that there can be any time of correction or even things like that. But one of the problems that we have is when we, and we've seen this in James, is when we start to fight and war with each other, We're thinking about ourselves and often we'll lift ourselves up because we want our cause to be there and which often results in pride. And he's reminding us, because of the time we're in, because Jesus Christ is coming back, all the more, don't do that. Don't, Don't fight and bicker and argue with each other as believers. Why? Because there is a judgment coming. Now, grudge not against one another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. We need to be reminded that believers in Romans 8, it says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is not talking about you're going to lose your salvation, go to hell, you're going to lose those things. No, what it's saying is that word condemned also means judged. As believers, as Christians, God is still looking at us and expecting us to change and grow and mould and become more like Jesus Christ in our love for one another, in the way that we act towards one another. God knows our weaknesses, but he doesn't want us to stay there. And He's giving us power and grace also to change, and he's helping us with that. For believers, even though we won't appear before the great white throne judgment, there is another account that we will have to give. All believers will be accountable to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, for we must all be, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. Think of this as an award ceremony. This is not a judgment as in you're going to be sentenced. This is an award ceremony. You're all going to appear, we're all going to appear before Jesus Christ and there will be rewards for what you've done with your, in your life as a Christian. And God says there will be either war, rewards or loss of rewards based on that. We don't understand all of the details of that because the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot. Jesus did say that every idle word that we speak that we'll have to give account for, we're also told in 1 John chapter 2, it's possible for us, if we're not living in the right way, to be ashamed at his coming. So not ashamed of Jesus Christ, but when Jesus Christ comes, there will be some shame for us. Now, I believe that's only temporary because Jesus says, enter into the joy that we have. But the whole point here is that the judge is standing at the door. Often when children might be um, fighting with each other or they're talking or arguing and they may not know that mum or dad is just outside the door and they're listening in on what they're going to do and they're about to walk in and say, hey, you, stop it. (laughs) This is the idea here. The judge, Jesus Christ, is standing at the door. We're told that he is observing everything that's going on in our lives and in our church. And he is, he's waiting and he's, he's taking note of all that. So don't think that just because Jesus hasn't come back yet that he doesn't care about what we do with our lives here as Christians. He does care about us and he wants to help us and he wants us also not to be fighting with each other. We're supposed to be witnesses of him to the world around us. Finally, he gives two examples of patience and he uses an example. Take my brethren, the prophets, in other words, Take an example of this. There's these people, remember, in the Old Testament, and these are Jewish uh, believers, so they would know too well, the prophets. If you take your Bible and you look, you'll see that there's a whole section in the Old Testament, beginning with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and, and then a whole bunch of what we call minor prophets, small prophets, of people that spoke the word of God, God gave the message to, and gave them a responsibility, just like he's given us a responsibility today, to take a message to the world around them. Take their example. They've spoken in the name of the Lord of suffering and affliction and of patience. If you go back and take some time to read the Old Testament prophets, you'll find out that these uh, who spoke the word of God suffered for what they went through. They would take the message and they'd share the message their entire lives and no one would respond to it. An example of that is... Jeremiah Jeremiah about at about 20 years of age God called him to be a, a prophet a witness of him he was not the natural prophet type we talk about prophets being strong and all this stuff he's called the weeping prophet he was very sensitive sort of person he lived in a time of great wickedness and disobedience god said to him i don't want you to to get married i want you just to serve me and proclaim that that's a hard thing uh, but he obeyed God. He preached for 40 years. I've been preaching here for four years and I just looked at this. I think there's about nearly the 200 messages that I've preached in this church. Think about 40 years. I think he would have preached quite a few messages and he was, for 40 years, he was telling the nation of Israel judgment is coming, judgment is coming. God says this. God says that judgment is coming. And they didn't like that. In fact, they had some prophets saying nah, don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine. And Those prophets were false prophets. They took Jeremiah at one point and said, we're tired of you, and they threw him down in a well, in a pit, in a mud, and he's there, and he was probably going to sink and die there unless some people rescued him out of there. He was beaten, he was put in the stocks, he was thrown in the pit. He warned Zedekiah, who was the king at that time, he said, go out to the Babylonians and you'll be spared. They ignored, and he was killed there. He was ignored, and in fact, we don't have any record... In all of his time of 40 years of preaching of anyone ever saying, I believe it. I'm going to do what you say. Yes, I'm going to turn and I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn to God. There is no record of that at all of people reading it. Now, how would you like that? 40 years of just continuing consistently taking this suffering, being afflicted from it. And he was just one of the prophets. If you're in James, turn back a few pages just to Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 11 gives us this uh, wonderful account of different people in the Bible, and it's talking about faith, gives examples of people who showed faith in the Old Testament. It starts with Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. So it goes through all of those different uh, people. And then as it comes to the end, it starts to talk about the prophets. It says, and what more shall I say in verse 32? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David... And of Samuel and of the prophets. And it goes on to say some of the uh, incredible things that God did through their lives. But it comes to verse 36 and says, Others, they're speaking about the prophets here, had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yes, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. It, the tradition has that Uzziah was actually killed by being sawn in two. They were tempted they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. All of these having obtained a good report, God gives them a tick on the report card. He didn't say, Jeremiah, hey, you've been preaching for 40 years, why didn't anything happen? Sorry, you don't uh, get a... Good report card is, you've been faithful. You've been faithfully doing what I... The response of, the pers- the, uh, of those people had nothing to do with uh, God's uh, purpose for, July, for Jeremiah. Even though they didn't respond, he was faithful. So he received a good report, having not received the promise. Jeremiah died and didn't see the coming of the Lord. He didn't see the first coming of the Lord in Jesus Christ. God, having provided us some better thing, that they without us should not be made perfect... Even the believers at that time said, well, you've seen the first coming of Christ. You know of the first coming of Christ. We look forward to the second coming. And, and Hebrews 12, verse 1 and verse 2, just, I just want to read this. Therefore, seeing as we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, you think about all of the prophets and what happened there. Lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Our our lives as Christians are like a race. Not a sprint, not when you're running fast just to get from here to there, but a marathon. You know, marathons are a long... way. I've never run a marathon. I don't think I ever could. (laughs) Was it 26 miles, 40-something kilometres? It's a long... uh, It takes a lot of training and endurance, but we know it does take a long time. And when they start the race, they don't run off and think, oh, I'm going to get this done in five minutes. It takes hours. So we're running a race, and we need to be patient. We're to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus Christ is the one, the author of our faith. Our faith, as believers, we trust in Jesus Christ alone. He's the one that's going to complete it. He's going to, to bring everything uh, to its, its end, to its culmination. So he gives us an example of the prophets. And finally, this example, uh, he says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Happy means blessed in this case. Those that continue on, that endure, that keep looking to the Lord, trusting him. He gives an example that they would all know of. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. Who was Job? The Old Testament has a whole book. In fact, it was probably the very first, the earliest book of the Bible that was written by a man named Job. And Job was someone that trusted God and he followed God. And we read an incredible story in the book of Job that there's this conversation between God and Satan. And God allows Satan to afflict Job. He loses his family. He loses all his possessions. He loses his health. And the whole thing was that Satan said, you take away all those things, he'll curse you. God he didn't. He didn't curse God. There's times when he struggled to understand why God or why God allowed it and even with his friends telling him his friends are saying oh it must be sin in your life there must be something that you've done wrong to deserve all this and he's just maintaining no I will keep trusting God at one point he says though he slay me yet will I trust him and that patience of Job we find at the end God shows up on the scene he silences the mouths of his friends he actually humbles Job Job thought that he knew what was going on, but he had no idea. And in the end, he not only humbled Job, he restored to Job uh, everything that he had lost. I'll just go to Job chapter 42. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, you heard about Job, you know this story. Job 42 verse 12. After Job has humbled himself, has realized, Lord, I'm nothing, you're everything, you're in control. He says, so the Lord blessed at the latter end of Job more than the beginning. He had 14,000 sheep. 6,000 camels, a 1,000 yoke of oxen, and a 1,000 asses or donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now, if you went back, you'd find that all of those first things, the, all the possessions, are twice as much as he had in the beginning. After this, Job lived 140 years and had sons and sons' sons, even to four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. Why is he pointing this to to Job? Is it to say, don't worry everybody, you'll be happy and blessed and have lots of wealth and good things in life? No, he's saying God is faithful. God is, as it says here, you've seen the end of Job. He says that the Lord is pitiful, very pitiful and of tender mercy. The Lord is loving and kind. He knows the struggles that we have, but he also will reward us the struggles that we go through not because we deserve it but because he is kind and pitiful now the rewards for us are spiritual rewards when we go to be with jesus we will have the glory and the riches not physical riches but eternal spiritual riches blessings that god gives us and most the most greatest blessing of course will be to be with jesus christ There's a hymn, it's not in our hymn books, uh, but uh, it's one that uh, I've often sung in the past and you might know it. And the chorus says, It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. And that's what this whole passage is reminding us to do. Be patient. Keep looking to Jesus. Set your focus upon him. Don't be, don't, uh, don't be um, overtaken by the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this encouragement, Lord, this reminder for us to be patient in a world that is so fast-paced and with so many things going on and frustrations that we have. It's easy for us to lose patience not only with uh, your plan and what you're doing, but, Lord, also to lose patience with one another. Lord, we pray that as we realise what it means to have faith, it means to trust you and it means to patiently wait, knowing that you're in control and you're bringing all things to the conclusion and we look forward to the coming of the Lord. We know that at that time that wickedness will be dealt with. We know also that uh, there will be the wonderful blessing of being with you. We also understand that we'll give account, not not for eternal life, but Lord, for how we've lived our lives. So Lord, Do help us to bravely run the race, to set our focus upon you and and to be uh, living in the light of your return as we go this way. In Jesus' name, amen.